As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. There it is. I was a bit of a delay. I was worried, but all right. So we'll just get started. Do you have any? Sorry, Mike. Did you have something to say? Oh, it just sounded very official. Oh yeah. All right. Three, two. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, based out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. Broadcasting not out of the University Center because uh, we have been unjustly locked out of there (laughs) completely unfairly i might add and i'm gonna head down with bolt cutters and maybe a blowtorch and uh see if i can uh torture my way into getting the key to open up the door with my bolt cutters and my (laughs) blowtorch (laughs) (laughs) don't worry nobody (laughs) listens to the show so i am joined by uh my good friend and co-host joel hello and back for some more pain is michael how are you doing michael i'm doing very well thank you great to have you back so we're going to do our eklund extravaganza part two that we've been uh, keeping people i'm sure on uh, pins and needles for (laughs) just wondering where are they going to go how much more can they say about a man you think that everything has been spoken about all the games covered wrong so wrong but we're going to keep you hanging just a little bit longer because we're going to start as we always start Michael, what have you been playing recently? Uh, well, I've been playing some Commands and Colors Ancients. Explain what this is, because I think most people have heard of it, but it's one of those games that's always like, you hear tons of great things about it. I think Napoleonics I hear a lot uh, about. Yep. Uh, but what is Commands and Colors? So it's a whole raft of games all built around the same system by the same designer. Uh, so there's Commands and Colors, Ancients, Napoleonics, Memoir 44. Oh, there's Memoir like, 44 is in the same system? Yeah, it's the same system. Oh, interesting. There's uh, a fantasy version, there's a Civil War version, there's a World War One version, and now there's a spaceshipy version. What's um, that one called? You know what, I can't remember. It, it seems like too weird of um, a system to play spaceships with. So I have no All right, well, what's the system then? So the idea is that you've got a map a board that's like a grid of hexes nine by 13 uh and it runs lengthwise between the two players and the board's divided into three wings like a left wing a center and a right wing and then you have all of your pieces which are usually um in ancients or napoleonics are actual little blocks in memoir 44 they're little die cast figures And you have a certain number of them in each hex, which just represent how strong that unit is. And you remove them as you get attacked. And then when they're gone, that unit is gone. So you spread your pieces out, uh, like I said, ancients is blocks. And they represent like heavy infantry or heavy cavalry or light infantry or slingers or um, you know, bronze-wearing Spartans, uh, all sorts of different ancient units. And then you have a hand of cards uh, you both players draw from the same hand of cards and they allow you to activate either certain types of units or units on either the left, right, or center. And so you're always managing your hand because sometimes you want to like do a drive on the left where your opponent's weak, but you don't actually have the cards to get you up there. So it's uh, an interesting process of like just taking advantage of what you can in your hand and then hoping that you get the cards you need. You always lay your blocks out in the same uh, setup or is that up to you to choose how they're laid out? Uh, the games all come with scenario books, like 10, 15, 20 scenario books, and there's expansions. So like Ancients has five or six expansions for, you know, ancient Greeks, the Persians, the Romans, the late Romans, the early Romans, like, so you can recreate all sorts of different battles. And then, so the scenario tells you how you lay out your units. And then there's some terrain as well. Uh, so it's a lot of fun, and it, it, it's fast. It's like an hour to 90 minutes a game. And the scenarios aren't always balanced. Not that I've done this, but they encourage you to then switch sides and then play it again and just sort of see who overall does best in both scenarios. But it's kind of fun that they're not always balanced. Mm-hmm. 
Um, where, where do the colors come into play? Uh, I think they mean the flags. Oh, okay. The sides. <clears throat> Very thematic. Yes. And, uh, and so, yeah, I really enjoy it. I played Great Battles of History a few times, which, you know, is a highly detailed, super dense rule book. Again, Hex Encounter War Game. And you have, like, little cardboard counters, and you stack other cardboard counters on them that tell you whether they're tired or whether they're breaking or whether they're this. Um, mm. And it's kind of cool, but it takes like five or four or five hours to play a game and you're managing a lot of rules or you can sit down and play commands and colors. <laughs> Very few rules. You get in there quickly, you destroy your opponent or you get crushed and then so you move you, on to the next game. Is there like a, a heavier, more complicated version of this that you would say, like, say, I'm thinking, like, maybe like Chicago Express is to eight, 18xx games, is to so this would, is to ASL or like, you know, um, miniature based combat games. Yeah. So the next, so Great Battles of History is a whole slew. Again, it's like Ancients in the sense that there's a lot of different expansions. You can play as the ancient Greeks, you can play as the Greeks versus the Romans, the Romans versus Carthage. There's different eras in each expansion. And the sort of funny thing with it is that Commands and Colors is designed by Richard Borg, and Great Battles of History, I think, is designed by Richard Berg. And they're totally unrelated. <laughs> totally unrelated. One's a Borg, <laughs> one's a Berg. Uh, so the Borg is the Commands and Colors, so it's just a faster playing version. And then you can get into Great Battles of History, where it's just way more detailed. You're rolling dice, you're... I guess you roll dice and commands and colors ancients as well. Um, but there's a lot more you're keeping track of in the great battles of history, like the fatigue level of your units. And um, But it's kind of funny because all this, especially with the agents, is just two long lines of people banging into each other <laughs> until <laughs> one side crumbles a bit and then the other rolls it up. Um, I think I saw... two... Sorry, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, is this a... Is it... <laughs> Do you get things where it's actually it could go either way right to the very end, or is it usually you can see somebody who's going to weaken before the uh, the game's over, and it's kind of like just kind of running down the clock? Uh, the games I've played of Commands and Colors Ancients, uh, usually there's enough randomness in it that the game is alive until the end, usually. There's been a couple of games we've played where if you get a, a good set of cards out of the gate, like I've won a game in two or three turns. Wow. Um, but then I've also played games where it's really close to the end and the other player just takes it. The winning conditions in mostly commands and colors games are pretty straightforward. It's mostly just about destroying enemy units. So it ends up being, I guess, not... You end up sort of just sort of, at the end, hunting down each other's weakened units, <laughs> trying to eliminate them, which is probably not totally realistic to warfare, but it is fun. Which one of these do you think you played the most of these? Ancients? Ancients, yeah. I've played a bunch. I haven't played Napoleonics yet. I went on a game buying binge at the beginning of the pandemic in case I could ever buy games again. So I bought <laughs> Napoleonics, but I haven't had a chance to play it. 2017, they had an American Revolution one. Right. Tricorn. Yeah. So I've, I've only played Memoir 44 and Ancients. Okay. Memoir 44 I liked, but I was playing with a 10 year old. It's, um, <laughs> it's a. For like a war gamey World War II, it feels very gamified. Oh, Days of Wonder. Yeah, that's yeah. you always see it when you pick up a Days of Wonder. So if you've if anyone listening has ever purchased Ticket to the Ride, you'll see an ad for him, Memoir Forty Four inside the box, which is huh. kind of funny that the this is all coming in because a lot of people swear by Memoir Forty Four, like they love that game, but it's it's something that no one I know owns a copy of, and no one I know has ever spoken about. So so did you beat the ten year old? Uh, <laughs> Mercilessly. Yeah, no, either way. <laughs> I just threatened to withhold their Made allowance. Him suffer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's beach landings and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like again, Memoir Forty Four is similar. It has a lot of expansions, so you can play Russians. You can play in the desert. I just find the level of abstraction is just a lot more gamey with it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But with Ancient, somehow it feels. I mean, it's similar, but it feels less gamey just because it was a simpler kind of battle, I guess. I think I jumped in on you and John were playing a one-on-one online on Vassal. Is that right? 
Yeah, we would have been playing on Vassal. So you can try it out on Vassal. I'm sure it's on Tabletop Simulator, but if you can play it something is. on Vassal, I think that's the best choice. If you don't want to... Yeah, in Vassal, the scenarios are pre-set up for you, so you just pick the scenario, whereas oh, on Tabletop, awesome. you had to actually place all your blocks, which was painful. Assuming you'd still rather play in person, though, right? Yeah, when it's not, you know, a threat to, to life. <laughs> yeah. Well, how so, to play online is always a pretty big part of this. And that's why we're all sitting in our own rooms yeah. right now. There is an interesting thing they do with all the commands and colors, too, where you can play an epic version where it's like three boards wide and you play with four players on each team. Dang. And one person, player. Yeah, one person runs each board and then there's the Supreme Commander behind them. Supreme Cap Commander. That hands, them, that hands them the cards that they can play, but then can't, isn't allowed to tell them exactly how to play the card. Oh, weird. Yeah. Does Y play Commands and Colors? Probably, but I, I, don't, I have not played it with him. Okay. All right, cool. Joel, what have you been playing recently? Oh, this and that. Uh, I've definitely been playing a lot of Among Us, as we discussed. I'm up to almost 100 hours. Oh on just a Steam version. Yeah, on, on Steam, and then it's also on my phone. Which, you know, it's not as much fun on my phone because I didn't buy any of the little little characters to follow me around. So you're walking around like the poor person of Among Us. Everyone's like, ugh, this guy's too cheap. <laughs> yeah. You and for that's a... 100 hours of 10-minute games? Yeah, so, you know, four or 500 games. All right. Uh, some a lot of that is in house, which is obviously better. In house being um, everybody is together, and you're on a channel like this in Discord, and you're just talking to each other about who you suspect during the meetings. Whereas obviously you know that your family has played, and they uh, they have to type in a chat box about what they think and what they've seen. So it's obviously a lot slower and more cumbersome. So obviously. Yeah. In-house is preferred, but public games are still pretty good. Uh, How much no... outright trolling do you see in these games? Not a lot. Uh, the nice thing about like 10-player games where you only need two people to survive to win is that if somebody's being a jerk, you don't even need to suspect that they're the killer. You just vote them away. <laughs> <laughs> you just kick them out of the game. Just vote kick. Yeah, I mean, there's people that... You can call a meeting like immediately, and if any if anybody does that, they're just immediately voted out of the spaceship. <laughs> See ya. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. But I, I'd rather talk about uh, our last game, eighteen thirty, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So this weekend we got a a nice in person game, eighteen thirty. Whoa, it was a lot of fun. Uh, six player was it? Six players. Six players. Justin's coming after us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say it was like high caliber play. We had some silliness, definitely like people intentionally buying diesels and loot, breaking one of their other companies. But I think it was just in the name of fun at that point. And yeah, I think like Jack and I are always like head to head, just like slamming against each other, trashing each other's stocks. I don't think uh, we really touched our stocks too much in that game, to be honest. They were just making too much money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you sold two of my, you know, flagship. I sold two of yours. But it never uh, struck me as like, we're getting off track here ah, right away. But it's like, it never struck me as just, like straight up trashing, though, as in just like purposely devaluing a company for the sake of devaluing it. It was, True, we needed the money. But we yeah. did manage to each dump a company on somebody, which is always The same fun. person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> Jack slept on the couch that <laughs> night. <laughs> it, was, it was tense. <laughs> which is funny, because she was like just sitting there like, mm, um, I'm, no, I'm okay. I don't really feel like running any <laughs> trains. And then she ends up running like three companies. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the problems with... Uh, so I think, uh, without going too far into the nitty-gritty of the game, um, I think it, it kind of speaks to two different aspects of the, the game that I think the more we play, the more... Like, I always have a great time with it. Um, but generally speaking, I, I find that the end game starts to drag tremendously. The beginning is just so fun, and the middle is pretty fun too. 
and then you hit this point where you feel like everything that all the significant decisions have been made and yeah. you're just looking at the the bank that's gigantic and especially if people it's are right about when the fives run out yeah when the fives run out uh the fives being a kind of train exactly although the fives are permanents aren't they yeah, yeah just yeah, when so there's none available to buy exactly so as soon as and sorry michael if it when's the last time you played 1830 uh i've not played it i've played i think 1848 and 1850 something 56 probably but well, i was I'll trying to, get... to ask questions for the uninitiated listeners there yeah no that's that's good because i feel like the only reason i'm not going too far into the weeds on this one is because we've talked about it a decent amount i think yeah. but um and you went the, pretty uh... far in the weeds there you guys <laughs> look michael you're not the referee all right need, man. not all of your listeners have played and know what a five is yeah you just don't know the the lingo values of like what you should be selling your privates at and... well, and that's the thing. so there's a bunch of stuff there so there's all these this dumb insular lingo that can show up in any game and for people who listen or, to the previous discussion games. yeah i was gonna say people listen to the previous episode about phil eckland i'm sure like, you have to be very selective in how you speak because a lot of this stuff is, like, just talking about it makes you sound like you're speaking a different language, let alone, um, like, looking at the the board, which, the as pretty as I find these, the new Eklund designs, and I think most of us can agree, uh, they like, the boards just look good and the cards look good, too. But just try try to put yourself in the position of a total outsider or even somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I play board games. I like Catan. I like code names. I love those. And then you you, you slap down something like, um, like eighteen thirty, you can at least like see. Okay, there's it's just a map, big deal. There are hexes, but try putting like something like Bios Origins down in front of somebody, and say, yeah. like, okay, we're gonna be doing this for four hours. <laughs> you can't, yeah, I can't wait till we start discussing the values of racism and slavery. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so not too much about eighteen thirty beyond the fact that bottom line is a we didn't finish it. And B, um, I think that we, I think we can say we all had a good time, but it just starts to drag, and you can kind of see when that, that you hit that point with a lot of people where you can see the life is drained from their eyes, and it's just turned into this mechanical sort of um, operation to just continue the game versus like people actually playing because they're intrigued or enthralled by the experience. Yeah, and I'll admit, my wife was sending me a text across the table saying, you know, how much longer is this gonna go? Oh, look at the bank. I outed her. <laughs> yeah. No, that's and you know what? I get it too. And that's part of picking it because I always I think something like that too. And unless you're you're sitting down and I don't know how you guys feel about this for for all these games, but I think it's about a finding your audience and b like picking a hard cutoff time, just saying, all right, if it's not over at this point, it's not over. We're just ending it. And yeah, so what if it's not done? Do you can't, I don't think you should be afraid to just call it quits as far as a matter of etiquette. Uh, unless it, like it's just one person who wants to leave and in that case i think the etiquette is to stick with it personally but how do you feel mike no it's a good question i mean it makes me think of playing risk a million oh. years ago <laughs> when one person was maybe going to win after 7 or 8 hours of play yeah but it was going to take them two more hours to beat everyone yeah yeah uh, so cuz we've done that with a few of our origins games where we've Yep. We realized we could play it out a bunch more turns to really fight it to the nitty gritty, but usually it's midnight. Well, the <laughs> yeah. ending, like we'll talk about it later, but the end of that game is so ridiculous. Just the, yeah. the way the way that you can end anyway. All right, don't spoil it. We're, <laughs> we're going to get to that in a second here. So the, I'm going to say all right, the last thing. I'll, I'm, so I'll contribute to our, the what we played with a similar type of um, or something we all participated in, and we got to play Wavelength, which is the game that yeah. Joel got me for my birthday, which was extremely nice, and I couldn't... I was so and excited we got to play it. Pardon me? And generous and kind. Generous and kind. Well, don't push it, all right? And <laughs> it was... The reason it's... Uh, I, I don't know. Had you heard of it before I brought it up to you, Joel? Nope. All right, cool. So the, the reason I heard about it is because people were saying it was one of their favorite new party games of the year. And I think party games, generally speaking, can go like two directions. They can either be like somebody drops something like "What do you meme?" on the table at a friend's place, and you and this like this rictus grin appears on your face, and you're just being polite. And I just then, bought that to play at uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy, well, Michael. Yeah, no, the, the ten-year-old and six-year-old in my life will love it. And that's so. what I'm saying. So you're gonna have a great. Hopefully, they have a good time and don't take it seriously. But. Uh, 
and then there's the the other ones where it's like, oh boy, this was actually something that it seemed like everyone had a reasonably good time with, and it was vaguely clever with what it was doing. And but anyway, so hopefully, I, wavelength falls into the second category for most people. But the premise is it's a party game, and you have two sides, and you've got this wheel in the center, which is I don't want to say it's overproduced, but it's it's pretty good <laughs> considering it's like the meat and potatoes of the game. And what you do is you spin this wheel. And there are, and it randomly puts this little spectrum of, uh, like a little pie chart, a little section of it, in somewhere onto the the half of a wheel, and the bottom half is obscured. And what's going to happen is, you've got this card in front of you that has something um, written on it, like, uh, for example, the one of the clues that came up was freedom fighter, terrorist. And it points to either side of this uh, half pie chart, the half circle. And you have to get the people on your team to correctly identify where this random little uh, section of this half circle is located by giving them a clue that kind of puts them in the direction based on that freedom fighter terrorist spectrum that's been given to you. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so that's it leads to people saying Osama bin Laden, and then everyone's arguing about the thing, whether he's a freedom fighter or a terrorist, which is it almost feels like a CIA opera, uh, operation just to figure out the uh, sympathizers amongst you. Who's the but, uh, uh, the main character in Twenty Four? Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. <laughs> what an incredible name! Um, and then there's more like, and it's just it's a good party game because. It, it creates lots of ambiguity and people are shouting at each other. And when the answer is revealed, most people can usually groan or cheer. And the other side can look at that and say, no, that's way off. What's wrong with you? And it's it's similar to that effect that Codenames generates where you give your it's there's a person who's responsible for giving the clues that your team is supposed to use. And depending on how good they are, what they're doing, you can be throwing knives at them or cheering them on. And But everyone in general is engaged in having a good time. And there's also this mechanic, which is kind of flawed if you're looking at it from a, like a hardcore perspective. But the other team can do a guess and try to say whether your answer is, um, whether you think that uh, the answer is further to the right or further to the left of whatever your opponents are guessing. And you can get a point for that. So... Uh, in general, though, I had a great time, and I, I even lent it to our neighbors today because uh, nice. I, got, I got a text message from him saying, oh, do you have a game that uh, my wife and her girlfriends would play? Exactly. It takes two seconds. It's simple to learn. And uh, and he said that you can play through social distancing. And I'm like, well, <laughs> nobody has to be close to this. Nobody's pushing uh, cardboard uh, or, or um, wooden blocks with Romans on them around, so you're okay. And uh, so hopefully they had a good time. I'll have to grill them on that. But anyway, Wavelength, I would recommend. I don't think it's like, I, I, it's not a 10 out of 10 game, but I think I had a great time with it. So, What uh, what do you think, 2020 Year of Lord, is your favorite party game? Well, let's put it to Mike. Or Michael. Michael, what's your, uh, do you play party games? And if so, what do you think yours is right now? I don't really play party games. I don't have a party game gang uh-oh yeah what about your uh what about your thanksgiving uh-huh well i guess know your meme is my favorite party game <laughs> what, what do you mean yeah. <laughs> that one what do you mean nice i think what about uh, you Joel? i think i'd say it's panic uh, panic wall street oh good still a ton that. of fun and simple enough that Anyone's gonna figure it out, and you're just gonna go nuts and and have a lot of fun. I I, don't, I can't imagine anybody being forced into that, you know, being like the eleventh or twelfth person not playing games, and yeah. still not having a good time. Yeah, going around yelling at people and offering them money. Yeah, <laughs> what more it's, do you? Panic on Wall Street. Have you ever played that one, Michael? Or do you know anything about it? No, I don't. It's a uh, it's a party game that's it goes up to I think like eleven or twelve people. And you split them in half, sort of. And uh, you've got half the people are selling stocks to, so they they're they're buying uh, shares in companies, and then they sell these shares to the investors. And the investors have a stack of cash, and they go around hustling and buying them. But it's up to them to negotiate how much they're going to pay for each of these shares from uh, the bankers. And what happens is you've got this chart of these stocks on the side, and it's just determined by these dice rolls. 
and they're safe investments, some that will never ever lose money, but only go up or down by very tiny amounts. And then there are the risky investments, which can have wild swings like to max or uh, negatives. And at the end of the round, wherever those stocks is, based on how many you've purchased, you get or lose money. And then the bankers have to also collect their earnings from or collect the cash from the people they've sold them to. So if they've sold bad stocks, they may not make any money because their you know, customers are broke. Uh, but then they also have to pay for all the shares they own. So it's it's definitely on the like on the higher end of the complexity as far as party games go. But it, it's still dirt simple. But it's a great game. It's not quite that. Uh, uh, what's that Pictionary one we did? Oh, uh, Pictomania. Pictomania, <laughs> which is great, but it's just it, I think it was confusing. <laughs> really strict on the rules too. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a Vlada game. What do you expect? Yeah. It sounds like you're edging into 18xx territory with that <laughs> one. It's kind of it sounds like it, but it's not. Believe me, it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I still think something like um, uh, Captain Sonar. Sonar's great, but that's that's the most complex of the party games by far. Like as far as the investment of getting people around and trying to learn what they're doing, but as far as the unique experiences go, I think Sonar is in a league of its own. It's totally unlike anything I think most people will have ever played. So what would you say? I think ultimately, though, it's it's a sad, safe choice, but I think something like Codenames is still the Codenames! best. Codenames! Uh, it's the king. It's Number just so one good. selling game in the world. Whoa, is it really? What's wrong with that? Yeah. In the, come on, period? Over like Monopoly and stuff? Well, last time I checked, which was, okay. I don't know, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> One moment in 2017. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we take a musical break? And when we come back, we are going to get right into the thick of it with uh, Eklund Extravaganza Part 2. So stay tuned. Sweet.
Welcome back, Android Zengen, CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was, what was this, Michael? So I've been on this kick of um, Krautrock, which is not quite a genre of music, but like a zeitgeist of music in the late 60s, zeitgeist. early 70s. I know. Cool with the uh, German, all right? I, uh, I did some cultural studies for like half a term in university. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of like a bunch of different bands in Germany trying to kind of create their own scene, I guess, in the late 60s, not to be so much influenced by the Americans or the Brits. So that's a band called Noi. I think that's how you pronounce it. And a song, Lila Engel. Uh, and Noi are pretty funny. They did four albums. The first one, it's two musicians, a drummer and a guitarist. They did the first album, which, you know, is a classic now, I don't think did very well at the time. They did their second album, but they bought so many new instruments that they only had enough money for studio time to record half of the album. So <laughs> the second side of the album is a single they'd done previously that they just sped up and slowed down okay. and did <laughs> remixes on it. And then their third album, they had creative differences. So one musician did the songs on one side and one musician did the songs on the other. And they sound really different from each other. One Are they both good, though? Yeah, I like them, but one's kind of new agey, and one of them is just, you know, almost inspiring punk. Like, it sounds like P.I.L. or something. I didn't realize, because I think last time we spoke, because uh, I was doing a little digging on stuff, I didn't realize Tangerine Dream is considered Krautrock. I always thought they were just kind of like 80s sort of new wave uh, ambient or space stuff, but I don't really know much about them. Yeah, well, they all came out of that scene, too, in the late 60s, early 70s. There were a lot of flutes as well back then. Like, Kraftwerk started with a flute. I had no idea. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, moving on from Krautrock to uh, Eklarock. Uh, (laughs) Phil Eklund. We talked previously about his games Bios Genesis and Bios Megafauna. We now move onwards in history and close your eyes and envision uh, the, the clouds moving over the, the planet and mountains shift and crack and glaciers move and rivers and oceans uh, ebb and flow and all of a sudden out steps a hobbit. Welcome Whoa. to the world of <laughs> Bios Origins. Uh, Michael, set it up for us. What is Bios Origins? All right, so Bias Origins is the third in the trilogy of games, and it concerns itself with the emergence of consciousness and humans. And Phil's very, he points out not the emergence of intelligence, but the emergence of consciousness. So the game starts with four different hominid species spread across the earth, and it's about the development of the different species. And as the game goes on, you start as a species, but as the epochs change, you start to represent a religion and then a language and then an ideology. So it's kind of about the waves of these things going back and forth across the planet as it develops. How are these abstract concepts represented in the game? Well, that's, So like all the BIOS games, it shares some stuff in common with Genesis and Megafauna. Uh, for one thing, there is an event deck. So there is a deck of cards in Genesis and Megafauna. The card is drawn every turn and has events that impact the game state. In Origins, the players elect whether or not to draw the cards. Um, But as with the other two games, that is the game clock. When those cards are done, the game is over. Uh, So players start the turn by maybe pulling one of these event cards, which can give them abilities, but also can change the game state of the board. Um, You can, part of the board at the beginning of, well, throughout the game is obscured by jungles or deserts or frozen ice or inland water. And so when those cards get changed, you can move those geographical limits around, which has the impact of like damaging your other, your opponents. Uh, And then the cards also can give you abilities. So there's that quality that is in the BIOS games. And then there's also a card market. And in BIOS Origins and in BIOS Megafauna, the card market is uh, you're buying mutations that make your critters more powerful or more better able to survive. 
And in BIOS origins, those are ideas. Um, so things like a pit-fired oven or uh, a skin boat. And mm -hmm. you take these ideas, if you meet some conditions, you take them into your hand, and then they give you more abilities that you can do during your turn. So that's kind of the commonality with the other games and the idea is that they can be played as a campaign where where you left off in Genesis can inform where you start in Megafauna and where you left off in Megafauna can inform where you start in Origins. In practice, I don't know how well that works out, um, but in theory, you can do it. As far as the actual gameplay goes, and Joel, you can chime in on this one. Um, what type of gameplay is there? Are you just sitting here buying things? Is it a deck builder? Is it a uh, a worker placement game? Or is it actually uh, a, this very Eklundian 4X style game? It's Eklundian in that, same with the other games actually, is you're doing your tableau building. So you're trying to get kind of a hand of cards. And the more cards you have, the more actions you can do, because each card has an associated action. Yeah, and so, it's almost like a combination of these things, right? Because it is that. It's the tableau building of, like, let me get as many actions as I can. At the same time, it's uh, it's kind of like a worker placement in that the elders go out in order to gather you some kind of technology. And then it's also a forex because you've got the board where you're spreading across. Right? And kind of a dude's on the map and that you're mm -hmm. on the board and you, you're attacking each other periodically. Yeah. Which, which raises part of the tableau is you have what is the brain map, which represents uh, how much of your energy is tied up in emotions and how much in language and how much in free will. And you have uh, little wooden markers called pawns that start largely in emotions. And part of the gameplay is moving them from emotions into language and into free will. And the more of them you have in free will, then the more cards you can bid on, the more actions you can do. Uh, which is also very Eklundian. Yeah, and we're talking about the more actions you can do. Uh, I just brought up the player aid because I thought it would be fun to kind of go through some of them. Um, and there are 21 actions. We all start with the same, um, I think it's five options for basic actions. Four. And then, four for basic. Well, four, four in the main thing, and then we all have a spread, right? Yep. And one special, yes. So we uh, we start with, with a very few amount of actions and types of actions. Uh, there are quite a few actions that you probably are never going to get in the whole game. Like in you yourself, somebody will probably get it. Um, but uh, basically, I think the 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 idea of going from you know like a game which might have you know five, six, maybe eight actions if it's a fairly complicated game, something like Root, right? Where uh, you've got your move, you've got your attack, you've got your uh, produce or whatever, right? Uh, maybe even Scythe is another good example. And then you take an Eklindian game like this, which one thing I will say about Origins, the dice are gone, and we're all happy yes. about it, at least most of our side. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still 21 options of um, actions to not only try to get but then use and and how do you use them right yeah and and there's three different win conditions so depending on how you play your game you can sort of edge it towards one of the different win conditions and not all the win conditions are determined by how you do on the actual map board of the world mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different paths you could be very take. religious you can be very well and because that's cultural part of your tableau is built around the theme of your ruling class and so you, you start can. with one of the three themes and during the game that can or will change and their yeah. culture industry and politics but it they seems have kind of odd that seems kind of odd that industry which builds you cities um doesn't score cities eh? that's right yeah the, um, so along in the game, there's six tech tracks that you can move along. And the more you move along them, the more different abilities they open up. And two of each tech track combine 
to help create your score on one of the three scoring paths. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a dog here. <laughs> and then uh, added to that is kind of a those tech tracks only ever go up during the game, so your score and those only go up. But then there's a third element which is variable and can go up and down during the game. And so that's kind of where you vie with people for power. Uh, so one of them is cities. So whoever has the most cities, they add that to their score. So against that person, if they're going to win in that way, then you put your energy into destroying or converting their cities. Yep. Jack and Mike, you, you want to rapid fire, see if we can run through some of these 21 actions and just say what we quickly think of them? Sure. You guys know more than I do, so this could be the very top. one time. So specialize. So that's how you go into the card market and get uh, cards that give you more actions. The so idea with those that's jumping out into the market. Jumping out into the market. And those right. So then I guess we'll get to the next one. Yeah. Explain as far as a, as far as actions go, that's essential, right? You need those Absolutely. elders out there to do just about anything at the beginning. Yes. And then invent the second action. So yeah, and the card market is made up of nine cards, three from industry, three from politics, and three from culture. And they all have different actions on them. So you put your elders on the ones that you want to try to get into your hand and hope that you can invent it before any of your opponents do. And then you take it into your hand and that adds actions. Yeah. And then and then yeah, that card goes into your hand and if it's an invention that invent action is actually below it, which means you get to immediately do that thing, which is kind of fun. Yes. And they um, come and go during the game. They're, they're considered ideas, and they mm. come and go as, you know, what, like, you know, the pit-fired oven will disappear when you start getting analytical engines, for example. Yeah. And later on, sometimes you just don't have enough room for all these ideas, and you have to call one. Yes. Let's um, move a little broader here. And sorry to cut you off, Joel. I just want to, because we don't have tons of time, and I would rather sure. hear your guys' thoughts on the game itself. And there have been a couple of really good emails going back and forth in our little email chain about the about BIOS. <laughs> but uh, um, I've I think I've played. I'm not sure if I can say twice honestly, but once for sure, and maybe some other stuff here and there. Um, and I've enjoyed it, but it's definitely not like a like, what do you want to do? Play some BIOS and type a game where you just, it's like, it's a, a quick, easy little experience, but it, it definitely makes you think. And it's, I think out of all the, of all the Eklund games, I think it's the most, uh, in quotation marks, fun of the bunch personally. But, um, what do you guys think as far as, as a game, do you think it, it works and, uh, or just what are your general thoughts on it? Yeah, what's the runtime, Michael? Is like maybe five hours if you're, yeah, if you're I really think rolling? Our games have been four, five, yeah, five, five, five and a half hours. The it's funny a thing long about the game, and it, yeah. but it's not. There's a lot of rules, like all the Eklund games, but like a lot of the Eklund games, they all actually once you start playing it, they come together pretty easily. And so yeah. when we've played, we've brought in new players, and they've picked it up very quickly. So even though all the nonsense that Joel and I were just talking about sounds weird and obscure it's pretty streamlined and the game builds on itself so you start with very few actions that you have to focus on and as you master those it expands and then your ability to play also expands so it it's, it feels a lot more daunting than i think it is but it is long and so our games towards the end have gotten a bit tough yeah, and the funny thing about the the length of the game is it's actually dictated by the players. The game will not move forward at all unless you do a specific thing at the beginning of your turn, which is to challenge the gods. Some crazy um, uh, active god will occur, like like uh, Michael was describing. The ice can shift into water, or deforestation, or um, diseases. Know, bunch a bunch of diseases and and economic crises and <laughs> and leftist dictators might occur um and then and then basically that triggers a bid and so uh, like we said with the uh, specialized being essential to get your elders out on the board whatever elders you have out as well as you know ambassadors and everything like that are what your currency is for bidding and if it's a religious event blah 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 um the point being that if you don't 
this is the only way to move between epochs. So if nobody is doing this, the game will actually just sit there and you'll just never move forward. But it tends to be that you know the people that are ahead will try to challenge the gods. Uh, but if everybody did it, the game would actually be much quicker. Yes. But usually you don't want to do it if you're not gonna if you don't have a chance to win, right? Well, that's the game seems to have a little bit of a runaway thing. Yeah, where <laughs> it's been a problem, <laughs> which has been a problem. And the, I mean, it's a lot like a lot of the other Phil Eklund games that the game the game itself can kind of conspire against a player. Yep, just not necessarily through their own poor playing. Although sometimes they make just one bad decision at awesome. one point, but. The games are very non-linear. Like there's a lot of different vectors coming in that are changing it. So you don't have that much control. And so it seems in our games that one player usually gets kind of reduced to not having a whole lot to do. Yeah, you're kind of alluding to the two main problems we've found with the game. Even though it is a ton of fun and I do love it, I'll say that just to get that on the on the table. Uh, one is that somebody will end up behind and stay behind and end up with like a 40 second turn where everybody else is taking 15 minutes on their turn and then the other problem that we haven't really got to yet is that the game has to end by somebody ending it at the beginning of their turn after everybody else has gone and the chances of them still being ahead at that point is usually pretty small yeah, so we had one game where it seemed like we might end up just going in circles of everyone. If yeah. They play their just, turn, they know they'd be able to get ahead and win, but they have to trigger the end of the game first. So they do what gets them ahead, but then everyone else catches up during their turn. <laughs> exactly. Um, but in our last game, I think you, we decided you actually clearly had a lead because you won we the had, last game. Yeah. And uh, and I think there was the game before that we decided uh, nobody could catch you. Right. Although I think that one was a bit more in question. Some people felt they might have been able to catch me, but <laughs> but it it it's a funny game because I come out of it sometimes frustrated, but then a day later I want to play it again. And I think it's something to do with the nonlinearity of it that there's just so much, so many different things that can happen or don't happen in a game that you never quite know how the game is going to go. Yeah, and there can be late game reversals for people. So, and like, and like Jack said, there's been pa- pages and pages written after games, specifically about the one game that we played by yes. everybody that played. I don't think you can. If there's anything to be said about it, that it's that at least provokes conversation afterward, like that mm-hmm. Tarantino uh, having a pie and chatting uh, yeah. quotation. Um, I'm still on the fence whether it's an actually good game or whether it's just a neat simulation because I think game-wise I haven't played enough to really feel confident to say so, but it's definitely something to do with your time and God knows it's better than uh, a lot of other uh, things out there. And I think that before I... Because I want to talk about High Frontier before we run out of time. Um, But I just want to say, lastly, and Joel, and I don't know if you've had a chance to play it yet, Michael, but I think uh, one of the greatest crimes is that Tapestry came out and everyone was kind of fawning over this design that I thought was just one of the one of the weakest designs I've experienced like I've had the opportunity to play in a long long time from a, a major publisher um, like Stonemare but to have people actually defending it too and saying it was actually no 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 you're wrong and then to play BIOS and be like no no this is the real good like this is what yeah. Tapestry wanted to be but was too cowardly to embrace Versus Eklund striving like uh, the Ayn Rand Superman that he is, and, uh, <laughs> coming in and designing this this project. But uh, um, yeah, I, and ironically, that... I now have a copy of Tapestry that I got for free yeah. uh, from somebody that didn't want it, and I still haven't played it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing. Why would you when you got Origins floating around personally? Yeah, because I think it's you're you're teaching basically the same game, except one's way better too. So, well, that's anyway. the fun. I... I, and we talked about this with Bios Genesis. Like as a game, it's tricky as a game because obviously it is one. Like there's rules, but it it's hard to master because depending on how the cards go or where you end up in turn order, it can kind of knock you out for a long time. So it's not like a tightly designed game experience. Mm-hmm. 
and I wouldn't call it a simulation because the map board at the end and your ideas don't actually look anything like modern day life. Like you can still be doing kiln pottery and have airplanes, <laughs> origins. Yeah. but, uh, but just, it's so kind of the interplay of all the elements is complex enough that it feels sort of like real life, I guess, in an interesting way, which is what makes it so compelling. Yeah. And I think we can trans transition into high frontier by talking about the theme because let's catch up we started with biogenesis we're all pre-cellular life going into cells uh hopefully and then uh, hopefully ending up in some kind of organism and then in megafauna we get to be the organisms and crawl around a, a very dangerous planet <laughs> and then in origins we have now become um semi i don't know what would you conscious say humans. Conscious. conscious and then yeah you've got what denisovans uh sapiens which obviously are the winners neanderthals hobbits, neanderthals and hobbits and then i guess i don't know how the water version works but you've got mermaids well yeah he's got <laughs> a funny variant where you can play as water creatures um, and then obviously by the end like you said we're learning about airplanes and and uh computers and Rocket. eventually we figure bombs. out space travel and where do we go from there so with high frontier i think we should flag that we're talking about third edition because there is now fourth edition out yeah um but i've not played that it's very similar to third edition though um so high frontier well phil eckland was an actual rocket scientist and yep. it's like we it's his wheelhouse and it's He's never been a pre-cellular organism no he had been a rocket scientist. that's right you have to guess at some stuff in that but so high frontier you have the board is a map of the solar system and it's a very abstracted map and it's really beautiful where there's the celestial bodies and then there's paths marked out kind of with how much fuel you have to use on them to get between the different celestial bodies so you don't get to just move anywhere. You have to move along specific paths um, to do so. And you start on Earth. And you start, again, it's a, a bit of a tableau builder because you've got a market of cards. But this time it's just um, a few two cards. Two-sided cards. They're two-sided cards. And you're trying to assemble, uh, the cards are different parts of rockets. And so you want to assemble the different parts of them. In the basic game, you need uh uh blanking on the names but they they represent the different parts of the rocket so some of them are the thruster some of them are the robotics that you need and then some of them are pieces that you will need to establish colonies on asteroids or planets yeah in order to do a um a factory which is really the meat and potatoes of your industry uh you need um a robot Right? Was you need a, yeah, you need a robot and, and a, a refinery. refinery. A refinery. And they're heavy, right. and then you got to pick them up, and you gotta you got to calculate their mass, as well as the mass of your ship and the mass of your fuel. And then you got to calculate how much fuel, even with the weight of the fuel, you will need in order to get to your destination. And in addition, if you want to avoid the dice, because the dice are back. The dice are back. Sometimes you, you go can, through hazards, and you have to roll a die. And if you, you roll can, a one or a six, one of them, you de you're destroyed. But you can bring extra fuel to play it safe and not roll a die because you have really smart engineers back at home. Yeah, the fuel doubles as a currency and as the fuel for your rocket. So the idea is you're spending currency to hire programmers to figure out your approach to Mars or to Venus. In such you, a don't have, you don't have to have that fuel on your ship, though, right? No, it just has to be in your... Yeah. Uh, and you're better off not having it on your ship because fuel might end end up putting you into a heavier category where your thrust is minus, and then certain things require a certain amount of thrust. And if you are below that stop, number, stop, 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 you well, can't do it. We've got two minutes. Tell us your thoughts. <laughs> two <on> minutes. <laughs> oh. I like space travel. Fun game. Go ride through space. So it's a, it's a fun game. It's another long one. You spend a bunch of the game assembling all the cards because in the advanced game, you also then have 
radiators and all sorts of other rocket parts. You have to assemble them all together in the right way at the right mass. So it takes a long time to get off of the earth and into space. But you really feel like you're, it's a little bit of solitaire, except for you're colonizing, colonizing is probably the wrong word, but you're taking over different celestial bodies to build factories, to build more rocket parts. So the board state's a little bit in contention, but you're kind of just dealing with your own rocket and trying to get to where you're going. Uh, so it's a bit of a brain burner, It's a, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and not for the light of heart. And the most complicated map I've ever looked at, it hurts my head just looking at it. What about you, Jack? I, High Frontier is the most complicated game I've ever played in my life. And <laughs> I, I find it's it's a million times worse than, uh, not in terms of quality, but in terms of complexity than something like Here I Stand. It's just so difficult to me. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, but it's but... Also, I think it's a knack. Like, we'll see, Jack. But I feel like... At first, the first few times I played it, but then there was something clicked, and then I kind of understood how the mechanics worked, and then it became much easier for me to play. But there's a kind of a, a frame of mind you have to have. What what Michael's describing is learning how to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know that I did that. Just click. But... <laughs> well, all right. So we'll, we're gonna we'll cut off the high frontier there, and we'll save it for after we play another game of it, and uh, can all have a very deep chat about high frontier because uh, this is the the dying minutes of the show and i feel bad for not having more time to talk about this because i think michael would you say high frontier is your favorite of the bunch it it might well be i also really like megafauna because i think megafauna is a quite is the most game of them all so mm -hmm. you, can't, you don't get cornered into like boringness in the same way that you can in origins i say that but i come back and i play origins again and again and again <laughs> <laughs> all right but also well, origins can continue the campaign into high frontier so where you end you up can play all four and determine how you start high frontier yes yeah. so and, and then four. if you feel like it play pax transhumanity or something to continue the uh i suppose the, yeah, the robots can also become sentient rebel yeah you can be the robot liberator and there is a combat module, so you can attack each other, but we've never tried to engage with that because it's just too much of a brain burn. And there's a second map. If you if the solar system isn't enough for you, you can get out of it and keep going. Into the galaxy. That's, That's it. That's enough. All right. Thank you for listening. Android's Dungeon, CFRU, very exciting games. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining us for the part two, and hopefully we'll get you back again after we uh, get some more Eklund stuff under our belt, or just in, in general for chats about uh, some of the games we've been playing, because it's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening to CFRU 93.3 FM, uh, whether online or through your various uh, podcasting websites, whatever you prefer. And hopefully we'll be back in studio one day. But until then, continue listening to us in our home setups. And stay safe. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Good night.